Morning, St. Clair. My name's Abby, and today I'll be reading to you from Acts 2, 36 through 47. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds of all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thank you, Abby. Good morning, St. Clair. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, the teaching for this morning is titled "Reimagine Church, Property, and Possessions. But let me back up and explain why that is titled what it is for this morning. This comes out of the reading that we just had, mentioning how the early followers of Jesus were quick to give up their property and possessions for the sake of others in the name of Jesus. And we are focusing our teaching now through to the summer on the book of Acts. We've, we've had a deep conviction that there are many important things that the early church has to teach us in a time like this. Uh, and as I thought about the example of the early Christians and what that means for us, for us, it, it felt to me to be much more than a noble idea or a sort of lofty ideal. It felt like this is the path that we're supposed to follow. And I've been ruminating on that uh, for a while and this week specifically. And then George Floyd happened. And if you've intentionally distanced yourself from being inundated with online news during COVID and don't know what you know I'm referring to, or, or maybe you just would have a vague idea at this point, this story matters, and it, it's one that's worth getting up to speed with. It's sort of, I mean, maybe the straw that is breaking the camel's back on racial injustice in the U.S., and as I'm watching what's taking place in the world and specifically with our neighbors to the south, I think about what it all means for, for us. And I had to ask myself the question, 
does it really still matter to be talking about property and possessions when there's so much else going on in the world? And I had to wrestle with this. And the more I thought and prayed about this scripture, this text that was in front of us today, the more I have grown convinced that it really does matter that we talk about property and possessions in light of what's happening in the world right now. Talking about property and possessions is not the, the answer to social injustice, but I do think it is part of the solution. And let me try to explain why. Acts 2, in the passage that Abby read for us, and as Amy mentioned for us, today in the church calendar marks Pentecost Sunday. It is remembering the unique promise that God fulfilled of pouring out his spirit on all people so that his people may know him and that he may be known. It is a remarkable moment. If you read from the beginning of Acts 2, you'll see the followers of Jesus encounter the living God with dramatic force. Onlookers are amazed and perplexed, and then up stands Peter, you know, the hard-headed disciple who's just been guilty of abandoning Jesus at his hour of need, and Peter delivers an incredibly powerful and persuasive message of truth and hope and life, and he does it with this astounding conviction. He says to the crowd of onlookers, the same crowd that called for Jesus's crucifixion, in verse 22, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And he says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh man, I, that's got to be one of my favorite lines in scripture. For it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Peter says in Acts 3, in, in another speech, he says, You tried to kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And then Peter, with tremendous force, he goes on to say in verse 36, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's response in this passage is not a surprise based on what he had heard and seen Jesus teach and do in his ministry. In verse 38, Peter's reply is, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. 
for all whom the Lord God will call. Repent. That is Peter's response. That was the necessary first response to the invitation of God coming remarkably close. Space needed to be cleared out so that God could come and fill new things in new ways. It's the same thing that Jesus offered in his first words in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This promise, the gift, it's incredible that God has come for all those who have been far off. And then his spirit is given that we may know life and life to the full. The author of life has given his life for the life of the world. It is a life we immerse ourselves in. It gets all of us. And whatever would hold us back or pin us down from living in the freedom and abundance of that kind of life, it has got to go. There's no room for it anymore. It needs to die. And so we repent. John Calvin, of all people, defines repentance as this. I found this really helpful. He says, repentance is being wounded by an awareness of our wrongness. Repentance is being wounded by an awareness of our wrongness. And I think that describes so well what the witnesses at Pentecost saw and heard in the words of Peter, that they knew something was taking place that needed immediate response. And that they could not remain indifferent. And so they were cut to the heart. They knew they were complicit in the death of Jesus and needed the forgiveness of sins that was being freely offered. Luke, who is the author of Acts, goes on to say in verse 40, With many other words he warned them, as Peter, he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 in an ordinary day were added to their number that day. Some translations, uh, depending what you're reading from, may say, Peter's words may say, save yourself from this crooked generation. The idea is that things have become warped or winding, not as they should be. And Peter's pleading for God's people to be rescued from a wayward path. Peter's words were for specific people, at a specific time, for a specific moment. But here's the thing. I think Peter's words and Jesus' words are timeless. That they are also for us in the right here, right now of our life And that we have to consider with the same weight and the same urgency what it is to take Jesus at his word. That the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good 
news. This is where the relevance of our property and possessions, I think, starts to kick in. Acts 2, 42 to 27, describes a wonderful, amazing expression in such practical detail of what a repentant life actually looks like lived out in community. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and the very life of Jesus is being incarnated in a community with one another. You know, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. William Barclay, um, a biblical scholar, would translate some of that passage this way. He says, There was a sense of awe in the hearts of all and many wonderful demonstrations of God's power in action were given through the apostles. It was their custom to sell their goods and possessions to share out the proceeds among them as any might need. I think what we're seeing here is that there's an unmistakable outer working of the Spirit that is in tandem with the inner working that had been taking place. And one of the hallmarks of this kind of transformation was the willingness to part with stuff, this property and possessions. Today, in our capitalistic, consumer-driven society, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise, we've been sold a narrative that accumulating property and possessions is the gateway to happiness. That the pursuit of consumption, it will give us our fill. And we live with a scarcity mentality. We end up constantly worried if we will ever have enough. But you will not find that script in the Gospels. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that those who try to keep their life will lose it, but those who give it up will find it. Cornel West says this. I found this really helpful. If you don't know who Cornel West is, he's an African-American philosopher. He's a political activist, social critic, Jesus follower. He's actually someone that has a commentary on the world right now that uh, you should pay attention to his voice. And he says this about sort of the cycle that we get ourselves stuck in around stuff. He says, we are stuck in a joyless quest for pleasure. Yeah, everyone, everyone's just getting pulled into this rat race of thinking more stuff equals more happiness. But that is not the way of Jesus. Walter Brueggemann says this about the church. He says, the prophetic task of the church is to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. Grieve in a society that practices denial and express hope in a society that lives in despair. I think, especially in light of this COVID reality, 
Maybe some of us have become even more dependent on our property and possessions to provide us with a sense of security and control. When so many of our norms have been stripped away, our default, our knee-jerk reaction maybe has been to retreat to our stuff as the way of medicating our anxieties. And I think it may be time to realize that we have a disordered affection for our stuff. We keep believing it's false promises that having all the right things will eventually satisfy. And here's why I think it's so important for right now. Because our stuff is really actually not about our stuff, I don't think. I think the grip that property and possessions has on our life has a lot more to do with our privilege than we would give it credit for. I think there's a direct correlation in the degree we build up a life protected by comfort and the degree we become blind to the need of others. Eventually, the desperate needs of others Uh, becomes a threat to our security. And so we distance ourselves from those that are not like us. And we tend to do this by insulating our own little worlds with more stuff. And perhaps we choose maybe to give out of our own excess. But maybe sometimes it's more to relieve our own guilty conscience than it is to do what is actually most helpful for the other. I have to realize that it is a luxury that I have the choice to give up luxuries. We have to begin to realize our comfort most often comes at the cost of someone else. And maybe it's time to start being uncomfortable with being so comfortable. The more we live to protect our comfort and convenience as the most cherished value of our life, we can become more and more complicit in a system that will keep on oppressing the least of these. James Cohn, he's one of the most influential black theologians of the 20th century. He says this, he says, The gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation. It says, but it is a story of God's presence in Jesus' solidarity with the oppressed. I just think starting with our stuff matters because we have to start somewhere. The more we're willing to loosen our grip on the need to have all the right stuff as though that would satisfy, the more we begin to open our eyes to see those who are easily overlooked and forgotten. And as I've been reflecting on this, just been learning kind of through COVID that uh, some daily disciplines have just been really helpful to navigate a time like this. And I've actually, I've really leaned on running as a daily discipline It's been helpful, meaningful for me to just find ways of being quiet and of breathing deep. It also just means I'm 
discovering all sorts of green spaces in the city. It's, it's been helpful for me. And it's actually worth noting that for all the days that I've been running at different times in different places, not once have I questioned my safety in the slightest. And as a white male, it has been sobering to think of how much privilege I have with something as simple as running. So yesterday I was running. I went for a run at uh, the beach at Confederation Park. And I noticed on the beach this little runt of a dog. uh, And it, with a lot of vigor, ran up to a washed up log that had to be at least 20 feet long. And it just sunk its teeth into the long end. It was so determined to pull that thing with it to make it its new toy. And I thought, oh, poor pop, you've got no chance. But I applaud the enthusiasm. And I, I wonder if... For some of us, I think some of us in a moment, in a time like this, may feel the zeal or the enthusiasm to do something radical in response to right now. And for some of us, maybe actually for many of us, we should do something radical in response. But where do we even start when this can feel incredibly overwhelming? So here's my really brief offering as we think about the relevance of property and possessions in light of what is going on in the world. Here is one way of just having a practical outworking. Take to heart the words of John Wesley's question. He says, do you pray about the money you spend? Simple as that. Dare to do that and you will see your motives, hopes, fears, insecurities brought into broad daylight And it will do some work of revealing what your heart desires the most. And if you let it, you may begin to see where things like property and possessions have become unhealthily married to a sense of entitlement and privilege. As Matt said last week, this is a time for necessity over preference. We as a community have a confession every week, every Sunday we say together, and we have to take serious this confession of what we have done and what we have left undone. As we think and we hope and pray about what life could be going forward, I was drawn to the words of um, a German philosopher named Rudolf Barrow. He lived through the split of East and West Germany uh, in the 20th century. And he says, when the forms of an old culture are dying, the new culture is created by a few people who are not afraid to be insecure. I think a moment like this calls for courage in how we do a rigorous examination of our own life that then helps inform how we see the world. Being the church is showing that the world that another way is possible. And to reimagine church is to say yes without reserve to the gift of the Holy Spirit and to repent how we've wandered and become warped in selfish ways and name how we've joined in with a crooked generation. 
This is a time to clean house, to pursue holiness as a meaningful marker of our lives, and to remove dependencies that we have on comfort and convenience as the default mode of living. It's time to turn, to repent, and take Jesus at his word that the kingdom of God has come near and that we fully embrace his life and we live that life for the sake of the world. It is very hard to know right now, talking to myself, (laughs) how to respond as a community, but I'm going to invite us to do this. Jesus, when he reappeared in his resurrected body to his disciples, there was this moment where he was before them and they could see him, they could feel him, they could touch him. And he said, my peace is with you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I, in the spirit of Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to invite us to pray together right now. And this is a very simple prayer that I lean on daily as a help for myself. And it's a breath prayer. It's with the intake of your breath saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. And with your out breath saying, Father, forgive me. You may have your own version of that. But we in this moment are looking to repent, to empty ourselves before God that we may be filled with his life. So let me take just a moment to lead us through that. I'm going to say this prayer out loud. You can posture yourself. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. If having your hands open before you is right, then just do what you need to do. But let me lead us through just a few rhythms of this prayer as we invite God to be with us. Holy Spirit, fill me. Father, forgive me. 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 We ask, come Lord Jesus. Amen. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So we might as well join him with everything that we've got. Tonight, um, you may have caught word already, but we are doing a Zoom prayer meeting call. We haven't done this before, specifically in this format. But in light of everything that's going on... um, we as a community are just constantly coming back to how do we learn to being to being a praying people. We're not none of us are claiming to be good at prayer, 
We're just saying that we're committed to prayer. And so prayer has felt like the, the right first response, next step to just what we're witnessing. And so we encourage anyone and everyone uh, to join in on that call. It's at 7.30 tonight. There'll be stuff posted on Facebook. There was an email sent out this morning. Um, you could reach out to myself if you're um, not sure how to connect into that. Uh, but we have different people from our community that are going to lead us through that tonight. Um, and so we would implore you to join and be part. I want to offer us a benediction, a blessing as we go. Uh, and it is it's really simple. Um, I was drawn to the words in Romans 12. And Paul says this. So take these words as we go. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. St. Clair, go in peace.